And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and with two races left in the Formula One season, there are still some battles to be won or lost. So ahead of the Brazilian and Abu Dhabi Grand Prix doubleheader, we're asking who is favourite in the battle for second in the Drivers' Championship, and whether Mercedes can overhaul Ferraris in the Constructors. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and more are Scott mitchell Malm and special guest Lito Cavalcanti. And we'll also hear once again from Mika Hakkinen. Well, Lito, welcome. A veteran Brazilian journalist, if I may call you that, and some authentic Brazilian flavour to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's very nice to be here with you. Well, we have to ask you about uh, Interlagos. We won't worry about Scott for the moment, but we're going to Interlagos, historic circuit. Obviously, you've uh, lived in Sao Paulo for a, a long time. It's pretty special for anyone outside of Brazil, but for a Brazilian, it must be a very special race. Yes, it is, no doubt. Uh, and especially when you have uh, uh, such a, a dominant season from Max Verstappen, everybody's trying to see it, uh, to see how he's going to uh, perform here in Interlagos. And he's still going after new records. He, he can uh, get his 15th victory in the season. Here and everybody is very curious. Everybody is very excited about how will he perform, and also the fight for the secondary position and secondary uh, things that must be defined here in Telagos. We also have technically um, a, a home driver racing this weekend now, don't we? Because Lewis is now an is it honorary uh, Brazilian citizen. Is that what he's? Is that what he's been awarded this week? I saw the photos of him at his ceremony. I feel like that really means a lot to him. He's always had a special relationship with this place, hasn't he? No doubt. The feeling here is that now we have a Brazilian driver. <laughs> and who could wish for more than Lewis Hamilton? You're going to see how crazy people will go when he gets to the track. It's going to be really, really spectacular. Well, Scott Mitchell-Malm, I won't introduce now because you've already uh, <laughs> said hello, but you're bringing some Brazilian flavour with your Brazilian football shirt. Yep, I'm uh, wearing a... Not it's not quite uh, a a real Botafogo shirt. It's a sort of limited edition, like replica kind of thing to to celebrate. I'm going to get the competition wrong, so I'm not going to say it. But it's uh, the 1989 victory over. I'm going to say Flamengo. I think it was, and it was uh, I again butchering the pronunciations. Uh, how do you say his name? M- Mauricio, the striker. Yeah, how do you say it. So it was it's uh, it's his shirt for scoring the winning goal in the. The uh, '89 game against Flamengo, so that I got that. I've been in Rio for the last week, so I came straight here from straight to Brazil from from, from Mexico. I snuck in a quick honeymoon while I was uh, off between races, and I'm trading 
one fantastic old Brazilian sporting venue having visited the Maracanã for another at Interlagos. So I'm I'm having I'm 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 living my best life in 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 Brazil to be honest. <laughs> Excellent. It's good to see you're getting into the spirit of it. Before we get into our main topics, I did want to quickly ask you, Lito, about Brazilian drivers, specifically Felipe Djokovic. How excited is Brazil about him now he's got half a foot in Formula One through his Aston Martin reserve role? Very much, very much. There's a lot of, of expectations about how he's going to do in the two or three times he's going to be driving in the free practice the Aston Martin car, and people is very excited about him because he had a, a, a very, very uh, efficient career until stepping in Formula 3, International Formula 3. There he had a, a bad year, and then he made a sudden and unexpected jump to Formula 2 because everybody was asking, how can he go, how can he dare uh, to race in Formula 2 if he was so bad in Formula 3. And then in the first season, he got three wins. And then the next one, he went not so good. It was not very satisfying for the public. And again, he recovered and was the champion with a dominant at least second part of the season. And so uh, he grew up a, a kind of, he built up a kind of uh, an image of the recovery man. A guy that's never dead. He can always fight back. Let's see what's going to happen with him. Uh, maybe it's not uh, the best team, but as a third driver to be uh, besides uh, someone like Fernando Alonso, and he's clever enough to make this uh, a very good uh, learning season. But there's, there's a, a big expectation. There's a lot of excitement around him. And a little bit of a shame that he can't run this weekend. Being a sprint weekend... Generally, teams don't like putting in drivers, although Williams are putting Logan Sargent I in on Saturday. I don't understand why they're not doing it, because that FP2 session is meaningless on a sprint weekend. That's like, tyre evaluation, no, isn't it? No, it is, it is but there is, it's not meaningless, but there's, there's so little to gain from it. In, in It's not like taking an FP3 session on a Grand Prix weekend, you know, that that last 60 minutes of track running before you get in qualifying. I could understand them not wanting to disrupt Sebastian Vettel or Lance, Lance Stroll's preparations for qualifying, but... You're gonna if you can hire Brazilian driver as your as your reserve, and you want to get him in the car before the end of the season. God, why this is sprint weekend? Everybody hates those FP. Give the fans who are actually there something to care about in FP two because that is the worst part of a sprint weekend. I think Lito might disagree, but I'm going to argue the other way. They've got six in the constructors still at stake, eleven, twelve million dollars worth for that. I can see why you'd want to make sure you maximised it with your race drivers, but it is certainly a shame. We'll see Djokovic driving in Abu Dhabi, both in the FP1 session, also in the post-event test. But let's get into our main topic, Lito. Red Bulls never had a one-two in the drivers' championship. It's about the only thing they haven't achieved in Formula One. Sergio Perez is five points ahead of Charles Leclerc in that battle for runner-up spot. So who do you expect to win that particular fight? Oh, it's a tough question. It's it's such a, a balanced dispute between uh, the two cars and the two drivers. If Red Bull is superior to Ferrari, I think Leclerc is faster than Perez. Uh, on the other hand, Perez tires management can be key for a very good race for him here. But everything is going to depend on qualifying, starting position, uh, all these things that uh, make up such a, a decisive weekend. It's one of those difficult things, isn't it, Scott, that 
Perez generally doesn't qualify as well as he races, so he's always in races, even when he's got a bit more pace, trying to get that position off, uh, particularly Ferraris and sometimes Mercedes drivers. Yeah, but he does have the fastest car now. Um, that that the Red Bull has just eked ahead. It was so nip and tuck with the with the Ferrari all season and and was slower in in qualifying. But now I do think that the Red Bull does have a pace advantage. I think Checo is in he's he's in good 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 form decent form and I also bet against Checo at this time last year or maybe a bit earlier when we were trying to work out which of the number two drivers would help the most in the the title fight between Verstappen and Hamilton I'm not making that mistake again because when when pushed when when it came to the crunch last year Perez was able to to really get the job done so I, I and I think with so much at stake here for Red Bull that I think they really do want that one two in the championship I I just feel that everything around Red Bull, upward momentum on track, and then Ferrari just has lost its way a little bit at the end of the season. I can see all of that coming together and being something that that, that Checo can just get the job done. He'll get it over the line against Leclerc, I think. What do you think, Lito? Do you think Perez will do it if you had to put down a few reals on how much on on who would be ahead? Oh, I think I would place the same amount in each one. <laughs> because, okay, uh, uh, Paris has got the best time, has got a better tire management, but Leclerc is clearly faster. And this track is a track where Leclerc has been performing very, very well since the Sauber days. Yeah, that's very, very true. It should be an interesting battle. Nobody really wants to finish second, but it's better than third. So I guess that's what they'll be focusing on. And quickly, Scott, while we're on the topic of the battle for second, it's probably quite a good time for us quickly to visit the world of Grid Rival. Grid Rival's the motorsport fancy game where the race has its own league. I firmly back Leclerc in this battle, partly by circumstance, because I couldn't re-sign Perez after his deal ran out. So what have you gone with? Have you have you backed Perez or is he out of your team? I'm hedging my bets as we sit here right now. I'm, I have I haven't, I haven't quite committed which way I want to go because I have a little bit of uh, have a bit of leeway in the decisions that I can make for for my uh, my fantasy team this week. So I'm I'm being cautious mainly because what's worked really well for me in the last few races has been waiting until basically the end of FP3 and then committing to who I think is going to do really well. But I don't have that luxury this weekend for this for the sprint. So so I'm going to be having to just go with my gut at the end of FP1. I think I'm going to leave it as late as possible. Yeah, that's probably a, a good strategy. I've locked in early because waiting late hasn't paid off for me very well this season. One of the other key things, of course, to be decided in the final two races is our league battle up top. Just 22 points separate Raniel Ricardo and Jackie 789-58103 at the top of that table. And we've been following progress in this fantasy league all year. So download the Grid Rival app or visit the website so you can join in anticipation of next year. You'll find the link in the episode description for this podcast. We'll have to get Lito signed up for next year as <laughs> As well, I would say, as he's uh, not entirely sure what we're talking about, but uh, well worth playing. But let's move on to Mercedes versus Ferrari, Scott. They won't be that excited about finishing second either. Ferrari's 40 points ahead, 103 left to play for with the sprint race. Can you see Mercedes overturning that? No, I can't. And um, I I think uh, I think if you gave them the choice, if, I think if they... If they genuinely had the choice between a race win in the final two Grand Prix or finishing second in the championship, I think they'd take the race win. Um, I think something like that to show for this season would be quite big in terms of morale. There's also that benefit of if you do finish behind in the championship, you get the extra wind tunnel and CFD work for the following 
for the first six months of the following season. So that that's going to just be that's going to soften the blow of not finishing second in the championship. But I don't know. I kind of feel like it might depend who you ask within Mercedes. I can imagine there being some people in that organisation that want second in the championship because that's also something where if you offered that to them six or seven races into the year and so if we'd have said around Spain, oh, Mercedes could beat Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship, we'd, we'd have been laughed out of the room. I don't think it's going to happen. So I think all of their focus is instead going to be on trying to get that elusive win because it would be a sh- it would be a shame for them to go the whole year without a victory. They have had a few half opportunities, but I think they need to they need a lot of things to come together. I don't think they're going to get second in the championship. Maybe they've got a better chance of winning a race though. Yeah, that's probably the more likely. What do you make of Mercedes and Ferrari this year, Lisa? Obviously, Mercedes have made a lot of progress. They've not won a race. Ferrari have been quick. Not won as many races as perhaps they they should have done. Very much outclassed by Red Bull. Yeah, I think that Ferrari still has a better chance than Mercedes. Ferrari has shown in the early part of the season that it can be fast. Sometimes there are some mistakes, but anyway, uh, only a big, big mistake would allow um, Mercedes to beat Ferrari, not only here in Interlagos, but in the two last races. And Interlagos especially, uh, Mercedes with all that drag is going to... It's going to be painful for them uh, at the last part of the track, from Junção to 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 number one to the S of Senna. There's a, it's an uphill, long straight, and Ferrari can be very very fast there. I really don't believe that Mercedes, in normal conditions, can equal Ferrari, not even beat it. Yeah, that's a good point. There's always the hope Ferrari may get things badly wrong. They have done this season, although not so much recently. They've just been struggling for pace. The altitude will be interesting to see how that factors in. Not as high as Mexico City, about a third of the altitude, but still a small effect, about 700 metres, I think, into Lagos. And that obviously has an impact on both of those teams in different ways because we saw in Mexico there were some concerns from the drivers that the altitude played a part in weakening the performance of the power unit. At the same time, the, the the Mercedes seemed to suffer less from its uh, from the fact that the car is quite draggy, and those those impact impacts will be less pronounced here, of course, for for the very simple reason you just explained that it. it is not as severe an impact. But it will be interesting because we we are looking. I think when Mercedes get it all together, I think we are looking at fine margins between Ferrari and Mercedes, and you never know that could swing it decisively in one team's favour for this weekend, but. I still don't think that'll be enough to swing it in the championship itself. Which is amazing to say, really, when you consider where Mercedes was relative to Ferrari early in the season. It shows they've made progress, but I guess that's the last sting in the tail the season can offer a Mercedes win. But I do wonder if Mexico was the opportunity to have a bit of a a run at that one. Hello, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of the Athletics' new documentary series, Away From Home. I've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk. They're in the Champions League, but they're having to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, you never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story.
Lito, let's look a little bit further down the order. The battle between Alpine and McLaren for fourth in the championship has raged all year. Alpine seven points clear at the moment. Each slot, as I said before, 11 to $12 million, something like that. So there's a financial reward. But how important do you think it is from a sporting perspective for those teams to win the midfield battle? Does it matter? Yes, it matters a lot. It matters uh, because there's a, a, a new season uh, next corner, it's, and so it's going to be uh, it's going to be very important for the spirit of the teams. And anyway, uh, there's more than these. It's it's going to be uh, one of the two last ra- uh, races uh, w- for Alonso with Alpine, and he he really wants to show how important he has been for Alpine's progress this season. And anyway, I think it's going to be, uh, in the other hand, on the other hand, uh, you have McLaren with all this up and down that has been this season. Uh, they still want to show that uh, they are there. They are uh, fighting for the, 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 the position of the best of the rest. I think it's quite important for the spirit of the team. Who, who do you think, Ed, will be more angry? Uh, Alpine, if they, after the season they've had in the car, they've had failed to beat McLaren in the championship, or Fernando Alonso, if the million points he's lost this year due to reliability fails to beat Esteban Ocon in the championship? Well, that's the that's the key question, isn't it? I think uh, I think Alpine would be a bit disappointed if they didn't get fourth because they've they've probably had on balance a better car. But yeah, that question about Alonso versus Ocon. It shouldn't matter to Alonso, really. We it know really Alonso, does. But it does. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's 11 points, I think, the advantage Ocon has got. Now, Alonso's had more problems with, with the car. Ocon's had his issues, but I think there's about 10 weekends you can say Alonso's been impacted by problems outside of his control. But do you think we're maybe underrating Ocon's job a little bit? Possibly, because he has, he has still done a good job. I think Toto Wolff described him a few races ago as a just a, a points collector. Like he's all, he he can just be relied upon to finish in the top ten. The problem I think that you have there is that you do have that consistency, but I just don't think you quite get the rate of virtuoso performances that you do from Alonso. Ocon does have some really good peaks, and there are some drives this year that have been genuinely excellent. And he's rightly been annoyed that. Whenever he gets asked about that battle, it's never, oh, you're ahead in the championship, aren't you doing a great job? It's all Fernando says he's lost 70 points this season. Oh, Fernando says he's had seven retirements or whatever the question is. You can tell, I think, it gets under Ocon's skin a little bit. Um, but you spoke to him at, at length, didn't you, recently? Um, and he, he obviously has a lot of confidence in his ability as a driver. Do you share his confidence in being a team leader? I've got a decent level of confidence in him. I still think he needs to show he can be something more than kind of a, a very good Grand Prix driver. He's shown he can win races, and I think in a front-running team he will get some wins. But it's it's whether he's in that kind of number two territory. I still think he needs to take that little half step. Alonso at his best has been that bit better. Look at Australia pace. I know that didn't pay off. Canada, etc. Ocon doesn't always have that, although he has produced some mega weekends. Suzuka really stands out as one firm Ocon, where really quick, leading the midfield, held off Hamilton for a big chunk of the race. So, yeah, I think Ocon's got his chance now, though, because Lonzo's off, Alpine's evolving, so he's at least got another two years there. What do you make of Ocon, Lito? Are you excited about him as a prospect? He's still relatively young in F1 terms. 
Yes, he's relatively young, but he's been there for a while. And still, I don't have a, a... I'm not sure about Ocon. Still, I'm not sure about him. I think he's got a, a good curriculum vita. He's got uh, important titles in his career. Uh, Formula 3 European title, GP3 champion. But in Formula 1, uh, I think his best seasons were when he was in Force India, uh, beside Sergio Perez, where, well, but it was not the best thing that could happen to him to beat Perez, and he was not so dominant against Perez. And the Perez we're talking about is not the Perez that's in Red Bull. Yeah, exactly. It's I think it's the thing with, with Ocon. It's whether he's going to always sort of float between that sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth best driver in F1 and can push on into to that elite elite group. I think he's very good, but yeah, just that last little bit is going to be uh, something he needs to access. And I'm not quite sure he's got, and that's not being heavily critical of him because there's only a few drivers who can operate at that Verstappen level. But the great thing is he works hard. He always evolves himself as a driver. He's got a lovely, smooth driving style. He doesn't quite agree it's smooth. He argues that he's just always reacting to the car a little bit quicker than others. He thinks he's got great car control, great attitude, good guy. So I think he's probably got a long future still in F1, whether it's as a front-running team number one. I think he still has to go a step to prove he can be that, but he can certainly be a, a, a sort of semi-regular race winner in, in good machinery, which is a, a pretty good level, I think uh, we can all agree. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's move a little bit further down the grid, Lito. There's only one drive available for next year. That's Haas. Mick Schumacher's in that seat at the moment. Do you think there's anything he can do in these final couple of races to change his future with Nico Hülkenberg waiting in the wings? Uh, hardly, hardly. I think his, his his Formula One career is done at least for for the time being. Uh, since Gunther Steiner said that the only way he would stay in the team was 
winning one race, I think he said it all. There's no more chance. And the, Jin Haas said that he's too expensive to the team because of the many crashes he had. And that's the problem. That's the image uh, he built up. Uh, sometimes faster, most of the time, sometimes fast driver, most of the time uh, erratic, and other times not fast enough. He didn't uh, uh, grow up, he didn't grow up as expected beside Kevin Magnussen, and so I think he's done. He's got the, he's got the biggest repair bill of any driver this season. He's had, uh, was it? Three, three really, really costly crashes. The the Saudi qualifying one that made him miss the race, the one in the Grand Prix in Monaco, and then obviously the, I think the worst one of all after the chequered flag on an inlap um, at Suzuka. Uh, admittedly in horrible conditions, and I think anyone could have aquaplaned at any point. You could say it just so happened to be him, but there's a reason it was him that that had that that problem, and, that, and nobody else did. Um, I don't really see what he can do in the last two race weekends that won't tell Haas what they already know about him, which is that the peaks are there to be a, a good midfield Grand Prix driver. And that's what Haas need. I I feel like there's a feeling in the team that they're going to be driver limited next year, not car limited. And I think if they have, if their 2023 car is as competitive at the start of the season as this year's car, that, that will definitely be true because Mick held the team back at the start of the year. They, they should have scored a lot more points than they did. Problem for Mick is that from Canada onwards, when which is when I think he got a much better understanding of what this car needs and was able to drive it better, he has been decent. His performances against Magnussen have been decent. The qualifying deficit has been a lot smaller. He's rarely been outraced by Magnussen in Grand Prix. I don't. I think he's only been beaten once or twice in races that both finished. Mick's had a couple of problems that have cost him opportunities. He was doing a decent job job in Zandvoort, for for example, early on in qualifying and the first stint. And then had a problem in the pit stop. So he has had issues that have held him back. But then he's done things like the crash at Suzuka. He has had the absolutely needless track limits violation in Mexico, which for me perfectly summed up Mick in Formula One. Had the pace to be definitely in Q2, possible top, t- top 10 contender in Mexico. Made a mistake that meant he was knocked out in Q1. That qualifying session, just perfect for him because... If you wanted to make a case for Mick to stay at Haas next year, you could have used that qualifying session. If you wanted to make a case for Mick being dropped next year, you could have used the same qualifying session. And, and that's Mick in a nutshell. He's so 50-50. He's, on a, he's, he's just permanently going to be on this knife edge where you're not, one, you're not convinced either way. He's Schrodinger's F1 driver. He is both good enough for Haas next year and not good enough for Haas next year. Yeah, and I should say that Bollard incident when he hit the Bollard on the inside of the corner, he did exactly the same thing in the same session in France as well, and then complain about it. That's the frustrating thing. I always think it's in your own hands as a driver. If you deliver, you will generally keep your drive. Sometimes external factors play a part, but Mick hasn't really done enough. And Nico Hulkenberg could well come back in, Lito, the hero of Interlagos qualifying back in 2010. Yes, before being dropped from Williams. But, uh, well, no, no, no doubt... Nico Huckenberg is what you call a safe pair of hands. They don't need a winner. Haas doesn't need, uh, don't need a, a, winning dri- a winning driver because they don't have a winning car. They need someone who brings home some points so they can have a better place in the Constructors' Championship and make a better prize money and 
get more data and get more information so they can uh, build up from there. And that's the problem with, with Mick Schumacher. Mick didn't bring the car home. Sometimes I wonder uh, if his name was not Schumacher, was Smith, if life would be easier for him in Formula One. Well, at the same time, if it was Smith, maybe he did. He wouldn't make it Formula One. And Nico Hockenberg is Hockenberg. He's not a Schumacher. He's seasoned. He's safe. He's fast. As 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 fast as the car allows him to be, I think is the right bet. Two drivers that weren't in consideration at, at any point, I don't think, for for the drive next year. Just so happened to be two Brazilian drivers, so I feel like I feel compelled to direct this question at, at Lito, which is. What has Brazil done to anger Gunter Steiner? Because they've got Pietro Fittipaldi, who is within that organisation already. He's even raced for the for the team. And Felipe Drugovic was Formula 2 champion basically uh, way, way, way before you know, Schumacher's fate was sealed with, with, with Haas. So Drugovic should have been an option. He was so clearly tracking towards the Formula 2 champion. So, Lito, are you are you surprised at all that neither of those drivers were considered at any point for a Formula 1 drive next year? Well, to be true, no, I was not. Because uh, it was quite clear right from the beginning that to be there, uh, you needed to be a seasoned driver, as Huckenberg, or you would have to take a lot of sponsorship. And none of them has such a, a big sponsorship to be to be in in a Formula One team right now. Uh, Drogovic has some some money, not that much. And to be third driver, I think he's better in Aston Martin than he would be in 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 Haas. And to be uh, how you say a titular driver in Haas. I think that's not worth. And yeah, I do agree with you there in terms of the driver they're looking for. I know one other driver, none of the ones we've mentioned, who did have a brief conversation with Haas, who had a reasonable amount of money, but he was basically told, well, it's less money than one place in the Constructors' Championship is worth. So straight away, it means to even start thinking about taking a, a driver who you're not sure about. They need to bring a pretty substantial uh, sum of money. So, yeah, I can see absolutely the argument for the safe pair of hands. And, and Gunther Steiner said from the beginning, uh, they didn't want rookies anymore. And so there's only Huckenberg. Yeah, that's very true. A very small driver pool at the moment. Let's move on, Scott. Uh, Pierre Gasly, he's on 10 super license penalty points, just two away from triggering that one race ban. He's got another nine races before he loses any of those. Do you think this is going to affect him in his final couple of AlphaTauri outings? I can't remember if I said this on uh, in our post-race podcast in, in Mexico or not, but it's definitely something that came up in speaking to a couple of people after the race. And I even, I think I suggested it to Otmar Zafnauer uh, Alpine, who will obviously be Pierre's team boss next season, I said you should have a word with Pierre and get him to take a tactical foul. Just do something this weekend that gets him the one race ban, so he skips Abu Dhabi for, with Alpha Tauri, and that means he's, um, he's he's got a clean slate going into next season. I can't imagine, I can't imagine anyone would ever seriously condone that, and I certainly don't think Pierre's the kind of personal driver to do that. But uh, honestly, if I was in that position, I'd have to consider it. Well, what would you rather do? Would you rather be? Would you rather know that you're definitely going to miss Abu Dhabi, the final race with Alpha Tauri, 
Or would you rather do the first seven races of your Alpine career knowing that you could get a race ban? You could even end up in that horrible position where if he does something in Abu Dhabi, it could be an honest mistake. It could trigger it for the start of the season and suddenly Jack Doohan's in the car. I think the stewards will be quite cautious about giving him penalty points, which I think does expose one of the slight problems with the system. Gazi's not a dangerous driver, is he? Nothing, nothing he's done is yeah. is that, is it? What, what what's his list? Do you have the list to hand? Because it's like it's a number of speeding under the safety car and yeah, and, I mean speeding under the safety car under the red flag specifically. That, that is a, that's the serious that was definitely one. Okay, but then there was there like three, dropping back ten car links. I yeah, think there was, was that one. in Austin. There were three collisions with Aston Martin drivers. Which okay, three collisions too many. But they were honest mistakes. One of them, Spain, the one with Stroll, even said that the low grip played a, a part. But do you think Gasly's a dangerous driver, Lito? I think we're both of the opinion that he shouldn't be that close to a ban. No, I think I don't think he's a dangerous driver. I think he's a driver under a lot of pressure. Uh, many, many races were wasted. Many good races from him were wasted by mistakes from the team. And now he's in, a, in quite a... Dangerous situation, as you said. Maybe the best thing he would do is to get the final two points here at Interlagos and start in Alpine from a, a, a white uh, piece of paper. Because can you guess uh, how hard it's going to be? How how is going to be his mindset? Starting with a new team, trying to 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 build a, 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 a right situation. Uh, besides. Uh, a driver that's already in the team for seasons, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be really, really tough for him. So if I were Gasly, I would for sure get my two points here at Interlagos. The thing is, it's going to be in his head as well. This weekend, Abu Dhabi, the first seven races of next year. How do you go into battle? How do you go into a first lap of a Grand Prix with that at the back of your mind being like one step wrong and I'm, and I'm banned? So, I mean, he's talked about having conversations with the FIA. I think I, I think it was in Mexico they, they talked about it because he was aware of how close he'd got. And he sort of suggested that the system could change for next year. I wonder if all he needs to do is get through these two events and then actually the system does change for 2023 so he doesn't actually start the season at, at, at risk. But even so, this weekend he'll be... And, you know, the sprint race as well, extra jeopardy, another race start. I can't imagine this was the... This was the kind of excitement F1 was hoping for when they came up with the sprint concept. But for Gasly, you you don't want to be doing that sprint at all. I'd be like backing right off going. But if you start, if he qualifies near the back, he just needs to hold right back at the start, let everyone do their own thing, and then just sort of work his way through. He's had a bit of a track record in sprint race. I think we've had what five sprint races. He's been in incidents on the first lap in two of them. Monza, Monza last year yeah. and with Joe at Imola yes. this year. Maybe that's only in Italy, so he's probably all right here. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's frustrating. I like the principle of a super license point system. I think if you've got frequent offenders, yes. you need a way to track them. But I don't like the way it's automatically for every punishment. It, it's not really what it, it should be. So I'd agree it should be changed. And Lito, Sebastian Vettel, let's quickly talk about him. Two more races in his Formula One career. Daniel Ricciardo as well. He's off to a season on the sidelines. Maybe he'll come back, maybe he won't. Do you see either of those being able to finish on a high? Vettel could nick 10th in the championship from Valtteri Bottas, maybe, so there's something to fight for. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. I don't know if he can get it because Aston Martin is always unpredictable. And uh, Interlagos, I don't know if it's the best track for the car's characteristics, but uh, I think that 
Fatel and Ricardo are so, such a nice persons, such nice personalities uh, in Formula One today uh, that I really hope the best for them, for both of them. And let's see. And when they are uh, with the with the right conditions, they are super drivers. As we see uh, in Mexico, we saw we saw uh, uh, reborn uh, Ricciardo. I would love to see him doing well also here in Interlagos and Abu Dhabi, so he can go out on a high. This will be quite an emotional final race for for Vettel here, won't it? I mean, there's been a few races obviously since his retirement now so he's been on a bit of a farewell tour and he goes to these events and and knows that it's the last time he'll he'll drive there but with 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 absolute all respect to some of these other races there are very very few that can have the uh, kind of emotional significance that the Brazilian Grand Prix has for for Sebastian given the manner in which he um for example the what the 20 2012 decider for example something like that has something like that has to make that, that that has to enshrine this Grand Prix in this place as one of the strongest memories and connections you have in your life. So coming here for the last time as a Grand Prix driver, I feel like this is one that he'll savor. It's probably getting very real for him retirement, isn't it? When it's half a season, it feels like quite a long way away. But now, yeah, just the the two races or two races plus a a sprint left. For him I think the sprint race could help them as well the Aston Martin is generally stronger in the race so they've got the extra stint of the race if you want to think of the sprint race like that to uh, to work away at things and they're trying to overhaul Alfa Romeo in the championship they're, they're, they're also they also hit the ground running quite well I think on Fridays they, they do really good work coming into the weekend so they're always quite strong starters I think that could really help because I think that could offset a little bit of the qualifying weakness that we've seen quite a lot of the time this season so if they can do the job qualify quite well and then benefit from the fact that the car is usually better in race trim anyway that could set them up really nicely for this weekend yeah and that's what they'll be counting on i think as well and that's i think one of the reasons they don't want to run Filipe Drogovic in the fp2 oh, session on well saturday done, well morning done for so bringing it back. you've proved my point so it'd be nice <laughs> for the crowd but probably aston martin are wise to be sensible on that one We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It's time for the latest edition of Flat Out with Mika Hakkinen. Now, Mika can regularly be found on Fast and Loose, the Formula One post-show on AMP, where commentary meets comedy. But we also have the chance to catch up with him ahead of the final races of the season. Mika, how's life? 
Very good. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, off to Interlagos next for Formula One, a circuit where you had plenty of success in your career, won there uh, a couple of times, I think it was. Really challenging circuit, a very old school circuit. It must have been one of the, the favourites. Interlagos is an absolutely brilliant racetrack, you know, beautiful racetrack. And, and uh, it's, it's a funny racetrack because, you know, you cannot build the perfect car in the track. There's so many different camper changes. And then Formula One, suspens- Formula One car suspension is very stiff. It's super difficult to find the perfect car. And, and some of the issues with the experience in the corners, you have to live with that. Uh, but again, atmosphere is, you know, the fans in Brazil are amazing. Since the day one when I went there in 91, first time and last time in 2001, it was just amazing. And of course, of course, Ayrton Senna created incredible uh, popularity for Formula One in in, uh, in in Brazil. And of course, Barrichello, Felipe Massa, a few others. Uh, great Brazilian racing drivers, and of course the fans. Fans are so passionate about about it. But the track itself, it's a mega challenge. You know, it's a, again one of those tracks where you go, when you do go anti-clockwise. So it's really hard for your neck because most of the tracks, if I remember correctly, was going clockwise. Uh, so so it was a it was really a big challenge, and of course weather over there uh, is is hot. But when when it when it does rain. It is, a, it is a big rain, I tell you. Uh, but the only good memories is imp- incredible memories. And, and uh, I think that if you compare any tracks, racetracks in a, in a world, that's the tra- racetrack where you have very emotional feeling to go there and leaving from there. It's just because the atmosphere. And obviously the season is, is over in terms of the championship battles. Max Verstappen's world champion. Didn't have a, a classic fight this year, but we did last year. And obviously, you know a thing or two about classic Formula One title fights. You had some very big ones with with Michael Schumacher. Uh, some you won, not all of them, but <laughs> you had an amazing record against him. We've been denied that that battle this year, but how do you see those two two drivers? Because it's a really fascinating balance, isn't it? You've got the still young driver in Max Verstappen who he's twice world champion, but he still feels like he's up and coming. Lewis Hamilton, the established seven times world champion. It's, it's amazing to see those, those kind of dynamics. How do you see those two drivers? How do you think they get on if they cross swords for another championship next year? They are, first of all, both of them are absolutely great drivers. Uh, Lewis has showed over the years incredible skills and development and maturity, how he has how he is talking about Formula One, how he's talking about himself, how he's talking about the fans. I, I can see he's a, he's a really great personality. And of course, his speed on the racetrack is just incredible. And experience, of course, he's been there quite a few years now. And the Max is still a young young gentleman and, and uh, achieved incredible results, even his young age. And... and uh, Really tough fighter out there. When you race against him, you can see that you don't want to really race against him. And I had a, I had a chance to in my young age. I had a chance to race against the Michael Schumacher, and he was, he was sometimes he was sometimes a naughty boy. He he didn't he didn't give up. We had big challenges, and I can see that when we, when we talk about Max and Lewis, there's some similar situations. So you have to knowledge, you have to knowledge about. Your your competitor, what what risks you are taking when you're driving against him, you know. So uh, we have seen seen some incredible situations with Max and Lewis, 
But general comment with about those two guys, they are fantastic, fantastic talent tri- racing drivers and great, great winners. One of the interesting things is because they're at such different ends of their career, they're at different stages in their evolution as a as a driver. Lewis does seem to though be, even though he's he's achieved it all so many times, this season seems to have suggested that he's still got that determination because he could very easily have given up. But actually, particularly since they've got into a more normal run of development with the car, his performances have been strong. He looks like someone who's who's not about to retire or take a sabbatical, certainly. No, no, Lewis has uh, incredible physical power, uh, mental power, uh, and uh, and uh, incredible experience. You know, and at this Formula One is in a very interesting time at the moment, simply because the t- testing time, what the drivers are able to test these cars, these young guys, is very limited. So when you, when there's a driver who has been there six, seven, eight years easily. The experience what they're collecting uh, for not only for uh, different situations, if pit stop happening suddenly or weather changing suddenly, it's simply the car control. You know that develops in a, such a high level, and and they can prepare them for the surprises, and and that makes a difference. And that experience is just something what money cannot buy, and that experience is something that what Formula One uh, is, is is because there is no testing. Drivers are not allowed to develop yourself out of the race weekend, so it's a very difficult matter. That's why, though some of those older drivers, it's it's great to see how they're performing. And just that level of desire to fight again when you've done it so many times, as you said, winning two world championships took a lot out of you. To win seven is. Almost unfathomable, isn't it? To, to understand yeah, how a driver can it's can absolutely do. incredible. It's very impressive. Very impressive what 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 Louis been doing, and I'm I uh, always been knowing his speed and his talent. But it's incredible how he has developed into a human. You know, able to communicate with people. It's just a, so impressive, and it's a, he's a good example for the younger generation drivers. Yeah, it is interesting with him and Sebastian Vettel as well with the off-track stuff. They're really, they've really kind of found their voice. And that's not something that's, that F1 drivers have always been encouraged or sports people in general. It seems to be very much a kind of 21st century thing. It uh, is, it is. I think, that, I feel that way the new, new generation of young people, they are listening differently than, than old days. Uh, I think, uh, of course, there has been programmes about the Formula One that the, the fans are able to go to understand more about the people, understand more about the engineers, marketing and team managers and drivers, so they can they can compare. And and my times, of course, it was how you reading newspapers, magazines, and and watching a Grand Prix when it comes on the weekend, uh, comes to weekend, uh, but there was not so much the inside information. And I also wanted to ask you about Max Verstappen because I see a few little parallels in the way he's developed as a driver because a few years ago he had his moments. Some drivers found he was a bit unpopular with. You had a phase where you were a little bit unpopular with with some of your fellow drivers. You even had that uh, that one race ban in in '94, mm-hmm. and you learned very well from that. Do you feel some kind of sympathy for the experience and the process that Max has gone through? Do you think there's any similarities with what what you went through when you were going from that? 
proving yourself phase to the point where you were then winning I races feel, I feel that way just because when you are young, you know. So you're, you're so you're, you're young and you are so confident with yourself and very selfish. And, and, uh, and that's why things happening like that until you learn, you know, what is this life all about and, and uh, racing all about. And, you know, so it, is, it, is, it can happen. It's, it's a very personal thing how you're developing human. You know, and Max is, is, is a very aggressive young guy. And, but with the time, everything is, I think people just need time. One of the elements of that that I think drivers seem to learn from just observing from the outside is that ability to know when you have to be quickest at the front. You know, you don't have to win every single lap, if you like, to be successful. That seems to be something Max has learned very, very well. And almost in not trying to every single corner, every single lap be at the maximum, you're actually at the maximum more of the time because you cut out yeah, those mistakes. It, Do you it, think it, is, it is something that develops also with, with the time. Uh, and I think... Uh, when you do start winning races and when you do start getting pole positions and fastest laps, you start you start a little bit relaxing. Relaxing doesn't mean you don't go flat out out there, but you do think a little bit more about when when you need to push and and uh, what condition the car is and and what what you are looking for. So there's a there's a little learning curve there coming. And I'd be particularly interested to see if those two do go head to head, say next year what they've learned from last year, because last year was amazing. I mean, I know with you and Michael, there was, there was some controversial moments, yeah, but yeah. you never had a season that was quite like what happened last year when it was just race after race. They were going at each other and the teams were really uh, massively at odds. Absolutely. How, how do you think it would go? Well, if, they, if, they, if those two, two, two guys need to race again, I, I think, uh, well, I wonder... <laughs> well, that, well, that's a, that's the great answer because it, it's not clear cut, is it? No, it's not. Yeah, of course, it's not. No, 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 no. It's a it's a personality thing, you know. It's a, yeah, and there is a very different personality between those two. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. very, very uh, obvious to see. Well, thanks very much, Mika, for your time. Much appreciated, and I'm sure we'll hear from you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you can catch Mika live immediately after every race on AMP, a new live radio app where anyone can host their own show. Every race Sunday, listen in as hosts Mika, comedian Will Arnett and Michelle Beadle are joined by a rotating list of F1 insiders, commentators and drivers. Listen, drop comments in chat or call in to join the conversation. AMP is live radio reimagined. Download the AMP app by clicking the link in the description and follow at AMP Presents F1 so you never miss a show. Well, thanks to Mika Hacken and also Scott Mitchell-Malm and Lito Cavalcanti for their insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there. Check out our other podcasts as well, including Bring Back V10s and the Race Moto GP podcast. And also take a look at our YouTube channel. We're turning our attention even more to the Brazilian Grand Prix now, so stay with us for everything you need to know from Interlagos. The Athletic.